Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than former Leicestershire, Sussex and Gloucestershire seam sensation, Mr Chris Liddell. So Chris, first things first, mate, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today and chat all things county crickets and the world of cricket coaching. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, no, firstly, thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to chatting about cricket. Um, but yeah, day's been great. We, I'm actually out in Mumbai at the moment, um, in my new role with England women. Um, so we played a T20 yesterday. So today's been a bit more low-key. We've got a couple of meetings later on just to debrief the game, which unfortunately we lost yesterday by four runs. But it was a sort of good start, a good start to the series, to be fair. So hopefully the, the debrief won't be too in-depth because we've played some good cricket. So, yeah, looking forward to that later on today. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a lovely start into the role, isn't it? And just looking at the weather over there in Mumbai, it looks absolutely glorious. For those who don't know, I'm recording here from Warwickshire. It's minus two here in the Midlands today. And Chris, by comparison, just for those out there who would like to know the temperature difference, what's it like in, in Mumbai at the moment? It's uh, it's nice to be room because the aircon's on, but as soon as you go out the hotel, it's, you know, early 30s, it's real, you know, sticky and hot. And it's, you know, do you know what? It's been a great experience to have them to see the, the, the way we go about things in terms of training or playing in conditions like this, which are hot and, you know, challenge you know, your fitness levels and you're being able to think and, and still react under pressure when you're fatigued as well. So it's been a it's been a great that's all part of the year tour as well to, you know, get experiences in different conditions and learning and, and take it back into your game in, in England. So yeah, it's been great. It's been fantastic. It's red hot. Uh and it's gonna be a shock to the system when I uh, I come I come back to England next week. Yeah, it certainly will be because judging by the weather forecasts, it's meant to get even colder, which isn't ideal, but that's just part and parcel of living in the UK. We have absolutely Baltic winters. And yeah, if you're used to, to minus degrees, then it probably won't be too bad. But having to, to readjust from being in 30 plus degree weather to all of a sudden minus four, minus five. Yeah, that will be a shock to the system, to say the very least, mate. But we're not here to discuss the, the trials and tribulations of the British weather, are we, Chris? We're here to discuss your cricketing journey. And just like with any good story, we have to start right at the beginning, the origins of the Chris Liddell cricketing story per se. So in terms of those earliest memories and those formative years in the game of cricket, what are your earliest ever memories of the game, either playing or watching this simply sensational sport? Yeah, it all started really for me up at Durham as a, as a junior. Um, first call coach was Jeff Cook. I was playing for the Durham Cricket Board. Um, it was a good friend of mine who went to school with Liam Plunkett. We both went to school together. He went up to Durham. I sort of followed him up there, played a bit of cricket. He obviously kicked on and was this um, teenage sensation, really, with 19-year-old making his test debut. I think he was 19. He was, he was definitely around that age anyway. Um, but I was trying to find my way into the county system, so to speak. And, you know, I was playing a bit of cricket for Durham. Um, I wanted to play for Durham, I wanted to get onto their books, but there was no room at the time. They had a massive amount of fast bowlers and they weren't looking to take any more on. Um, and a, a coach at my club team, which was Middlesbrough at the time, um, had a contact down at Leicester. 
Jack Birkinshaw. Uh, so he contacted him and said, listen, you know, we've got this player, Durham are interested, that, you know, they can't offer him anything at the moment, but he came to have a look. And Jack had just finished down at Leicester, actually, but contacted the coaches or the head coach that was there at the time and got me down. And, you know, I played a couple of games. They offered me a contract and, I, and you know, I had, had three great years down at Leicester before then moving on to, to Sussex, really. Um, but, yeah, it's, it was a bit of a interesting start in terms of I've never really been away from home before. Even when I was playing for Durham, it's only, it was only up the road. Um, so you can go home every night, whereas now I'm living in Leicester. Um, never really been away from home, so I had to grow up quite fast, um, which I think helped me in the end. It, you know, it helped me grow up a bit, bit quicker as a cricketer and as a person. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed my time there and then obviously moved on to Sussex, which I, I think was about 10 years down there, which was probably my most enjoyable time in my career, um, living on the south coast and, and playing cricket for Sussex and winning a couple of trophies along the way. Um, and then later on, end of my career, moved on to, to Gloucester, where I think it started shaping a bit more of what I want to do after cricket. So, shaped more... I suppose my mindset was, yes, I still enjoy playing and and, and doing well and, and performing, but I was always also looking at what life after cricket would, would look like, which then started getting me into coaching, um, which probably got to me where I am now. There's a few other things along the way, but yeah, I'd definitely say it's been a, it wasn't the standard, you know, route into first-class cricket, um, but it was enjoyable. And that's the important thing, isn't it? You know, everyone's got their different routes, different journeys. I mean, on the podcast recently, we had Will Smale, who's basically gone through every single type of club and and system and every single bit of the, the English critting pyramid to, to get to where he is now at Glamorgan. But that's the thing. There isn't one set journey into professional cricket. And as long as you can get that initial foray into the game, you can be set. I mean, it's very, very cutthroat. It's very competitive, but it's all about generating that first opportunity. And Chris, before we talk about your time at Leicestershire, First and foremost, I just wanted to take it back ever so slightly to those early days then. So you mentioned about growing up in Middlesbrough and having that connection to, to Durham. But in terms of those formative years, did you have any idols, any icons, any role models per se in the game of cricket who you really tried to emulate in those formative years? And if you did, I'm guessing they would have been seam bowlers. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Well, Middlesbrough is a funny place, really, because it sits stripped in the middle really of Yorkshire and Durham. So I suppose when I was, when I was really young, I was in, involved with like a Yorkshire pathway system. Um, but it, from Middlesbrough to Yorkshire is a trek. It's massive. It's, it's hard to get to these places because it's, a, it's a, you know, commitments to the family in terms of my parents taking me there, uh, whether it's on an evening or on a weekend was like, was massive. And, you know, thankfully for them, they, they give up their time to, to do that and allow me to, you know, get involved in all these cricket systems and stuff. Um, but Durham seemed more appealing once, you know, I started knowing more about the cricket and how it all works and where opportunities might be and stuff like that. But I suppose looking up, it was always a, a Yorkshire player, whether it was, it was Darren Goff and, and Ryan Sidebottom. They're the two that I love watching play, watching go about it. Goffey with his... His energy and he looked like every time he got a ball in his hand, it was it was an event. Um, he made it fun to watch. Side bottom because he was a left arm, the same as me, and I, I just loved the way he worked at his craft. And, you know the energy he brought, the enthusiasm he brought every time he got a wicket, 
or he was trying to get in the battle. These are all little things that I, you know, probably shaped me a little bit as well towards how I sort of wanted to play cricket. Um, but those the definite two guys that I looked up to as a, as a youngster, for sure. Well, two excellent choices there, to say the least. I mean, Darren Goff, what a character. He used to stick his tongue out when he bowled and, as you said, brought that energy, that enthusiasm, that passion to the 22 yards. And obviously, Ryan Sidebottom, one of the finest ever English left-arm seam bowlers, an absolutely fantastic talent. And, yeah, multiple county championship winner as well with Yorkshire. So, yeah, very, very good choice, to say the least there, Chris. And in terms of seam bowling as an art form, what was it about seam bowling in particular which almost captured your imagination in those early years? Yeah, great question. I think I started off with a bit of everything in terms of open the batting or keep wicket or a ball. I just tried a bit. Of, I just wanted to be involved in any part of the game possible. Um, but then I suppose as I developed and grew and got and got taller and I bought, started bowling a bit more, I realised that I, I had a bit of pace. And I could, you know, not scare batsmen, but I could make batsmen jump around a little bit. I could make something happen in the game, which then the excitement of that sort of took over. Um, I remember playing for Martin Cricket Club very early on, um, third team. And then all of a sudden I was playing the first team the following week just because I'd, I grew up a little bit. I was a bit tall and I was bowling a couple of bumpers and getting the ball through. It's like, oh, we're going to get him in the first team. And all of a sudden I'm playing first team cricket at probably about 15 years old or something like that and you think actually I've got something something about me here um, and they looked after me and they were great um, yeah it was definitely around about 14 15 I, I remember playing first team cricket for my local team but it was it was probably then I started learning a bit more about the game rather than just running in and bowling as well I suppose I probably still do that still did that to an extent running and bowling as fast as I could but I had a bit more of an idea um, about what I need to do or how to get um, batters out from the experience of, of playing as a youngster with experienced club cricketers um, which then helped me understand a bit more about actually the art of bowling and it got exciting about well, I can have a fielder there, I can do this so I can bowl some bumpers, this is what might happen they started talking to me about that and yeah, bowling just took over enjoyed it, enjoyed running, enjoyed trying to bowl quick um, still like my batting um, and, and didn't just want to be seen as just a just a bowler, especially in, in club cricket. Um, but yeah, it was. It, I just remember that feeling of oh, actually there's something here, and then getting pushed by my club team to, you know, move up pretty quickly to the first team and, and getting back to do so and getting looked after in that environment, which was it was a nice thing. Well, it certainly sounds it, and yeah, that is a very early age to be playing men's senior cricket, isn't it? Goodness me. And in terms of that cricket club, was that your first team, or did you have a team before that? Were, were Martin your first cricket club, per se? Martin, yeah, Martin Cricket Club were my first team. Um, I, actually didn't, I actually moved away from Martin Cricket Club when I was probably 18. Uh, yeah, it was 18. I actually didn't want to leave. But I felt like I needed to be playing Premier League cricket and they were in Division 1. Um, and I felt like I was on the cusp of potentially moving into county cricket or getting looked at by county teams, especially Durham. I, I felt like if I'm speaking to them and I'm not even playing Premier League cricket, then it's not doing me a service really. So, unfortunately, I had to leave them and join Middlesbrough uh, Cricket Club, which is a Premier League team. And then I got picked up from Middlesbrough Cricket Club. So, it was a 
a bit of a, a selfish move at the time, but one that I felt that like I had to do. But yeah, Martin Cricket Club was my my first team um, growing up, and all the way through until I was I was about eighteen years old before I made the move to another club. Right, that's really interesting to hear, actually, because that actually didn't come up in the research. So that's something which I've learned today. So shout yeah. out to Martin Cricket Club, eh, <laughs> for yeah, for producing. Good team, very good team, lovely ground, great people involved there. Passionate about the club. Still try and pop up when I can when I go home and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, well, shout out to both. I mean, Middlesbrough were great with me. They looked after me. They 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 want me to come play for for them when I was eighteen years old, and and they backed me and gave me everything I could to you know push on and hopefully play for Durham and it worked out playing for Leicester um, but it certainly put me on the right track so very grateful for, to both teams for sure. Well shout out to both of them then so Martin and <laughs> Middlesbrough Cricket Club because without <laughs> them Chris who knows might not have gone on this incredible journey and got to this point in in a coaching capacity either I mean it's absolutely yeah. staggering isn't it how how life works out and from these humble beginnings life just takes you on this path and we never know what's going to happen in it obviously but you know, sometimes it just works out very, very funny, doesn't it? And there's a nice circularity. And I'm so glad that you still spend the time at both of those clubs and, and giving back as well. It's so, so important. So that's absolutely wonderful to hear. And in terms of that initial foray into county cricket then, because I've got to ask about your initial impressions of Leicestershire County Cricket Club, because it's it's quite the step, isn't it? Going from club cricket to, to county cricket, going from amateur to professional level so in terms of your first impressions of Leicestershire as a club and of course of of Grace Road as a venue what did you make of the East Midlands County after that initial move? Um, It was a shock it was it was a real shock Uh, my first year there wasn't actually that many sort of youngsters youngsters on the books really Um, I went into a change room it's Phil Defratis, Darren Maddy, Paul Nixon, Jeremy Snape I think Claude Henderson might have been his first year there as well. There was a lot of senior players that have either represented England or been involved with England or played a lot of county cricket. And I felt I felt out my depth. I, you know, I've gone from um, playing a bit of junior county stuff in terms of Durham Cricket Board and Premier League cricket to all of a sudden um, now being in a change room with all these people with experience, the way they talk about the game, the experience that they had in the game. I felt like I was quite naive to the professional game. Um, I felt like there was quite a, quite a lot of um, learning to do pretty quick, but I also felt like I had to make an impression and not just sit in the background and, and you know, wait to be helped. And Because that's not, probably not my nature. I'm probably more on the front foot, right? I'll try and prove why I'm here, whilst I'm here. Like, there's a reason why I've been selected. I can bowl decent pace. There's a reason why I've got a contract. I'm going to show you. I'm going to try and compete with some of the senior guys for a spot in that team and um, yes I probably may have been on the aggressive side in terms of training um, but I felt like I needed to show people what I was uh, what I was uh, what I was about really. And it really was a, a very competitive dressing room wasn't it as you mentioned some of those names are Leicestershire legends in the modern era I mean it was a fantastic period wasn't it for the East Midlands County and that was obviously topped off by the the T20 successes in that period as well. So Leicestershire, in that age, really were a fantastic team. And in terms of your first-class debut, Chris, because you did actually make this during your time at Grace Road, what can you remember about that day then? Because 
obviously, first and foremost, the move would have been quite daunting in many ways. You've gone from playing amateur cricket to professional cricket. You've moved from South Yorkshire to Leicestershire. So there's a lot of things which I suppose maybe would have added to the nerves ahead of that debut because it's a completely new experience, isn't it? But in terms of the day itself, what can you remember about stepping onto that field for the very first time as a first-class cricketer? I remember it being cold, and I remember thinking, it's a bit wet, the wicket's not as dry as what I'd hoped it'd be, and I want to make an impression, but please don't get too giddy and just accept that the ball might not fly through here. Um, but they, they were, I, I remember, like, Jeremy, I think Jeremy Snape was around that time. I don't know whether he played in that game, but it, the cricket brains that we had in that changing room were unbelievable and very supportive. Um and challenging at the same time, what's expected of a youngster. But yeah, I suppose I didn't at the time I didn't want to be outdone by a student. I suppose that's why I was that's why I was looking at. From my point of view, I'm the professional who's got a name and a number on the back of the shirt. That I want to make sure that I'm putting on a performance that isn't outshone by a university student. Um, but they could also be professional cricketers, but they chose to go down the university route, which is fine. But at the time, I was like, I, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm not, not letting myself down, but I need to make sure that I'm, you know, putting on a performance that people, or do something in that game that people would be like, yeah, there's a there's a professional cricketer in here, there's a first class cricketer. Um, I don't think it was an incredible sort of debut, um, but I, I don't think I did too. <laughs> too badly. I think I remember the white ball games more than the red ball games, to be fair, in terms of debuts and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it was, I think we just got back off pre-season too. We might have been to India and Pakistan on that that winter. It was enjoyable. It's memorable, isn't it? When you, you get to make your debut for your county, it was great to have a, a cap handed over with a little red fox on it. Um, you know, these stuff that you, you always remember, you got your numbers, making your debut for, for your county and you you know, at the time, it's like, right, if I do well here, I could play the rest of the year. Sometimes you think too far ahead. Of, you know, if I get 5-3, I'm going to play for the next four or five games. I'm going to start the county season. Um, so it's all emotions like that. You've got to try and control and bring it back to the present, um, which, you know, as you grow older as a cricketer, you sort of get better at dealing with that, those type of things rather than getting a bit carried away. So it was all it was all a learning curve, that is for sure, especially in the younger days. I, you know, I... I joined Sussex, a far better cricket than when I joined um, Leicester, that is for sure. But it's from being in change rooms with, with people with great experience in the game and that have been and done it and can offer words of wisdom and support and stuff. So it was a big learner then three years at uh, Leicester, that is for sure. Well, I'm glad you've just mentioned that actually, Chris, because before we discuss your time at Sussex, because there's an awful lot to talk about from your time on the South Coast, I just wanted to hear in your own words, basically, how you reflect on your time at Grace Road because they were your first county side. So you made your first class debut. You also made your list day debut for the club in 2006 against Hampshire. So the, the initial foreign county cricket started at this club. So I imagine they'll always hold a very special place in your heart. But in terms of that initial journey then, how do you summarise and reflect on your time with the East Midlands County? Was it a very useful experience? Do you wish that you maybe could have played a few more games? How do you look back on your time with the Foxes of Leicestershire County Cricket Club? 
Uh, fondly, that is for sure. He got me into first-class cricket. I'll be forever grateful for that. Um, I got opportunity to uh, to play first-team cricket there. I'd like to have played more. Um, the the change room environment was full of experience, but it was it was tough at the same time. Um, you've got a lot of older people that are not necessarily coming to the back end of their career, but pretty wedged into playing first team cricket there. So it was quite hard to, to break through as a youngster, um, unless you're exceptional, like Stuart Broad was at the time. Um, or what's throughout his career, should I say, not at the time. Um, but he was, a, he was a youngster that he just knew straight away that he had something different. And he did make his debut and he, he played every game he was available to do so after that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was tough because the expectations of what it takes to play first team cricket was you know you were you were told about it you were exposed to it by some of the senior players so it made you think a bit about um, your own game all the way down to your standard of throw your standard of throwing from fine leg if you you know if it wasn't accepted or it wasn't to a high enough standard you were you were sort of told about it so it was it was good in that aspect because you sort of knew where you stood um, and you knew that if you wanted to, or you want to be in that changing room, you had to have a bit of a strong mind and back your skills, but also be open to taking on a bit of criticism and being able to put that into practice and improving. So it was, like I say, I I, I left Leicester far better quickly than when I when I joined it, and I think it helped me being a better place when I joined when I joined Sussex. Well, I'm incredibly glad to hear that, to be honest, Chris, because it's always nice, isn't it, when that first club does leave such a profound impact and has such a positive impact on those early days, because it's so important, isn't it, heading into the future, learning those lessons early on, because it puts you in a far greater stead heading on to the next stage of your journey. And in your case, that next stage was on the south coast. It was with the Martlets of Sussex County Cricket Club. So, First and foremost, in terms of that opportunity, how did that materialise in the first place? How did Chris Liddell go from playing for Leicestershire to moving to the South Coast and playing for Sussex? Well, I was, I was, I was playing. We were playing a game against Sussex, and after I'd signed, I, I found out that they were looking for fast bowlers and they needed to try and build a battery of bowlers down there that felt like they were running running out basically, or there wasn't that many coming through. So I was playing a second team game against Sussex for Leicester. And I remember walking back to my mark and looking up at the changing rooms at Hinkley Town, uh, where we played second team cricket for Leicester. And the, the head coach was stood on the balcony with a video camera, uh, videoing the game. And um, found out that he was videoing me to then send back to uh, Mark Robinson to say, this is the bowler. Because back in the day, then it, the games weren't coded. Like they, they didn't have... Only the first team games would have the you know video encoding of the games and stuff, so it was their way of doing it. He got in touch, um, and I was out of contract at the time. I was in my last year at Leicester. Leicester had offered me a new contract, um, and Sussex came in and told me about the club. I think they'd just won the county championship as well. Um, yeah, they had just won the county championship that year. Um, told me about their ambitions at the club and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to build. I just I, at the time I was like, if the, if the county champions want to sign me and I'm playing second team cricket and they're painting this picture of where they want to go to and how they want to build it, then I'll be daft to turn it down. So, yeah, I accepted the terms and conditions 
and then just yeah got myself down there said thank you to, to Leicester for the, the memories but it's time for me to sort of move on there's opportunities to that I want to pursue I was about to say I think that would have been a very very easy decision wouldn't it in hindsight moving to the county champions you were spot on yeah they won it in 2006 and then they won it again in 2007 it was just this golden period wasn't it for Sussex yeah. and I suppose the the big factor the x factor for the Martlets in terms of the bowling department was the great Mushtaq Ahmed. What a spin bowler. Goodness gracious me. He completely demolished every single batting lineup up and down the country over the course of those couple of seasons. And in terms of your first impressions of Sussex, again, I'd love to know this, Chris. What were they? Because, again, you've gone from playing for, for Leicestershire, who had those great names, the likes of Phil DeFratis, Jeremy Snape, Darren Maddy, etc., etc. But... You're going into a changing room with the county champions, right? There must be some kind of extra presence and aura about that environment. So in terms of your first impressions of Sussex, what were they like? Well, firstly, of the ground, I thought, wow, this is incredible. And the, the place itself in Hove, I thought, I can, I'm going to really enjoy living here. Um, it's very relaxed. The ground was nice, you know. Got a great feeling as you walk through the gates and got welcomed by the um, Sam the Gateman that's down there and, and still is down there and he's been a legend ever since and he's part of the club and that's how it should always stay because that's the first impressions you get when you turn up to someone if it's someone that's welcoming like Sam is um, leaves you you know it starts the day off almost starts the day off in the right way really um, so first impressions the club loved it um, the team itself just off the back of a county championship um, on a high some solid leaders, Jason Lurie, the, the fact that I can go down there and learn from a, a left armour that's dominated also county cricket and try and learn a few skills off him was a massive tick um, in terms of me progressing my game and, and being around people that are involved with international cricket. And Matt Pry was um, just being brought into the international fold in terms of test cricket um, and white ball cricket. Luke Wright was a young um player that's on the verge of making his, his England debut, all these people that are just on an upwards trajectory, I thought being around the likes of these with a with a leader like Chris Adams uh, and an overseas player like uh, Mushtaq Ahmed, I thought this is going to be a, a great place to learn how to play the game and, and progress my, my abilities. And you certainly did over the course of that next decade, didn't you, Chris? And this will be a very, very tough question, I reckon, because... Again, there were some trophy victories. You had some very good individual performances as well. But in terms of your time on the South Coast with the Martlets of Sussex, in hindsight, what would you say was your personal highlight from your time on the South Coast? Is there one particular day, one particular moment, one particular memory which almost stands out above all others, per se? Uh, there's, there's quite a few. Um Making my debut, T20 debut, getting fourfer, um, and realising that I've got a skill that works in white ball cricket. Um, I also had probably the probably the hardest times of my playing career down there. Um, I got injured, um, got myself back fit and got injured again and missed probably a year and a half of cricket. Um, in that time, I was running to the end of my, my contract. And I remember going to a game... I'm pretty sure it was at Whitgift School uh, to play a Pro 40 match. And um, I was I was going there thinking, oh, I'm, I'm just getting back involved. I'm not 100% fit, but I've been playing. I, you know, 
workload. You know, I haven't got a great deal of bowling behind me because I've, I've came back from two operations in my ankle. Um, and I remember going to it thinking, I might play, and if I play and don't do well, this could be my last game for Sussex. And I played it and I had a fantastic game, did really well, picked up a few wickets. And I just remember feeling like a sigh of relief, knowing that actually I've, I am, I've still got it and I can still do a very good job for Sussex. I'm still a very important player for Sussex in terms of white ball cricket and the relief on, on there knowing that I'm going to be okay, I'm going to keep playing my cricket at Sussex was like a massive feeling and, and you know, I kicked on again after that and stuff. But yeah, and the other one was probably five for at Lords and T20 as well. Another one that I really enjoyed, you know, um, picking up wickets at the home of cricket. It's great. And obviously being involved in um, some trophies as well along the way. I definitely thought I made the right move when I joined Sussex and we won the county championship in the first year. I only played three games. Well, I felt like, yeah, this is the right thing. I bet you did, because, yeah, just looking at that, the, the record in the early years was quite staggering, wasn't it, to be honest? So 2007, as you mentioned, Sussex went on to lift Division One of the County Championship. And then 2008, you had that incredible Pro 40, didn't you? Yeah. And, and that game at Trent Bridge, Murray Goodwin Masterclass, which I think you can still find it on Sussex's YouTube channel, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. but. That game was absolutely insane. And someone who never gets enough credit for that performance is Mohamed Sami at the other end. He batted absolutely brilliantly. I think yeah. he was batting at seven or eight, wasn't he? It might have been nine, actually. He got pushed up the order um, to go in and play against Spin. Paid off, didn't it, <laughs> in the end? Yeah. Great move. But I remember sat in the balcony with me, Luke Wright and Andy Hodd and Chris Nash all sat there watching and thinking... We got a chance here. We got a chance, and then when Muzz put that one over long on, I think it was for six, we just went wild. It was unbelievable. It really was. I think that's the only way of of truly describing it: unbelievable, or inspiring, spectacular, remarkable, anything really. I mean, any superlative you can throw at that. It was absolutely insane. And yeah, Murray Goodwin, eighty-seven not outs against Knotts at Trent Bridge, taking Sussex to the trophy. The end. What a campaign, what a year for Sussex County Cricket Club. And Chris, in terms of those individual performances, I'm so glad that you mentioned the T21s because I wanted to touch upon them in a little bit more detail. So we'll start first and foremost with your T20 debut because to say it was memorable is probably a little bit of an understatement because, as you mentioned, four for 15 from 3.2 overs on your debut and it wasn't just the individual performance, but the team performance as well. Absolutely hammering Hampshire by nine wickets at the Aegeus Bowl in an El Clasico. So, again, that's a nice little feather in the cap to take into the future. But in terms of that day, in terms of that game, what can you recall about stepping onto the field and making your debut in the T20 format? I remember walking out there thinking, I've got a right, there's a real buzz, there's real energy, the excitement about people coming in now, under floodlights, fantastic ground to, to go and play cricket at, huge stadium. I just felt the real buzz and excitement from not just myself, but I could pick up, up all the team, of how they just wanted to go out there and just express and just get involved. And, you know, it'd gone from... I suppose the early days at Leicester when T20 was introduced and it was all a bit of uh, 
well, it's just a bit of a, you know, a short format, a bit of a laugh, a bit of a giggle with it to actually now this is like a proper tournament. You can see where T20 cricket was going to go and the excitement of being a top class, you know, T20 team. We were just raring to go. We were excited. We were raring to go. We led well. We were looking forward to getting out there. As you say, it was a, it was a derby match, which also adds more to it. Um, and yeah, I just remember the feeling afterwards of being, what a game of cricket. We've absolutely smashed them. We put in the right performance. We smashed them. We've been a level above. Hopefully, every game's going to be like this from now on. Yeah, unfortunately, though, that isn't that isn't cricket, is it? Unfortunately, no. it's a very, very unforgiving game at times. But in terms of that debut, right? I alluded to the figures beforehand, Chris, and I'm going to test your memory with this question. But in terms of those four wickets, can you remember who they actually were? Sean Irvine. Chris Benham. Spot on. Um, Carberry. Not Carberry. Um, Michael Lum. And I'm missing one other. But he might have been caught by James Kirtley. Bouncer. Would you like a hint? Go on. GL. Greg Lamb. Greg Lamb. Four out of four, Chris. Nice. <laughs> excellent recall. Flipping egg. Well yeah, done. Nice guy, isn't Greg? Also, one of your first wickets in the T20 format. So I'm guessing he'll be quite a memorable name <laughs> for the rest of your life, to be honest. And yeah, what a performance that was from Sussex. Hampshire being skittled for 85 runs and the, the Martlich chasing it down within 9.3 overs. Debuts do yeah. not get any better than that. No, and it, was, it was a great game. It was, it was a great way to start. Like You think, yeah, I'm buzzing off taking fourth and then we, we knock it off in and say nine overs, it's like this is, this is how it should be, hopefully. <laughs> Goodness me, what a start to your T20 career. And yeah, it was onwards and upwards from there because let's fast forward ever so slightly and let's go to 2012 and let's talk about a certain performance at the home of crickets, which you did allude to beforehand. But that Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer 17, to be specific, against Middlesex, was very, very special, wasn't it? So, uh, again, I'll ask the exact same question when it comes to this particular performance, Chris, but in terms of that day, in terms of that game, what can you remember from that? Because 5 for 17, a 5 for in T20 cricket is always very special, but to do it at the home of cricket, was that one of the highlights of your entire career, let alone just from those days at, at Sussex? It certainly was. I think... Um... T20 cricket against Middlesex at Laws, you're always playing on a short edge. I remember turning up there thinking, I've got the short edge again, and thinking, I'm going to have to bowl well, we'll target the short edge, I've got to use the skills. What did, what did help us? I bowled all my overs um, with the slope going against, uh, going away from the, the right-handed batters, which I, I knew that my slow balls would, would have more an effect on. Um, so I knew that was in my favour. I knew also that it was quite long straight. So anything I could take away the short edge, I'd have a good good chance. Um, but they started well. I think they got after Rusty Theron quite early on, put him under a bit of pressure. Um, and you know, it's like sometimes you just get a. I don't. I don't think I executed the balls exactly how I wanted to do it. But my plan was, my plan was pretty good, and I was pretty clear in what I wanted to do in terms of the skill set I was going to go about. But it's just one of them games where. Your slow balls go straight up in the air. Um, they don't quite get hold of them where they should do. 
they move around too much. And then I always enjoyed it when batters moved around a lot because I felt it made my uh, margin for error bigger uh, rather than, you know, the batters that stood there and didn't give me anything. I felt like I was a bit more under the pump. So there was a lot of moving around, uh, which helped me in terms of execution. Um, so, yeah, it just things just fell into place sort of thing. I, you know, I backed my skill, ran in, trapped balls as quick as I, I could in the area that I wanted to, to do be aggressive and then go to change ups as soon as possible. So yeah, thankfully it worked. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. It certainly worked. Yeah. Five for 17 from four overs. And again, I'll, I'll pose the exact same question as I did with the previous performance, but in terms of those five wickets, can you remember who they were? I remember one of them. It was Buck Rogers trying to paddle me <laughs> on reverse. One was Dexter. Um, I don't think he was there then. Was Joe Denley at? Um, he was, yeah, he was there then. Was he? Was he one of them? Yes, he was. Um, just joined uh, Simpson. Simo. Yep, John Simpson. Yeah, Last I reckon one? it was Scotty Newman. It wasn't Scotty Newman. No, the the five wickets were Joe Denley, Neil Dexter, yep. Yep. Gareth Berg. Bergie, how can I forget Bergie? I've coached him for the last four years. Well, there you go. I think he was your third wicket, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Did it straight up the chimney? Yeah. (laughs) Well, there you you go. Goodness me, Gareth Berg, John Simpson, and yeah, Chris Rogers. Unsurprisingly, won the the Player of the Match award as well in that game, Chris. (laughs) Which I'm guessing is just a nice little bonus. It's the icing on the on the cake for that game, and. In terms of that campaign as well, I did just think I'd bring this up, but joint second leading wicket taker in the entire competition after taking 17 wickets in 10 matches. So you, you held that joint second place with Reese Topley. So a very, very impressive campaign, to say the least. And just before we touch upon the, the tougher moments and we get into our conversation about Gloucestershire and the world of coaching, I just wanted to ask about T20 cricket because... I think a lot of people, I wouldn't say pigeonhole, but associate you more with the T20 format. And what I wanted to to touch upon with regards to that question is execution and game plans in T20 cricket. Right, did you find it difficult in comparison to List A and First Class Cricket to to formulate game plans in such a a volatile and fast-paced environment? How did you find those game plans and executing those tactics? in a T20 environment? Did you find it difficult, per se? Um, no, not really. I tend to go with, and I, I speak about it now, a gut feeling. Um, having a plan and going with that plan is the best decision to make. If you go with your, if you don't go with it and you go with your second choice, probably the wrong decision to make. So your first initial thought of what you want to do, are backing it and doing it. Uh, T20 cricket is such a short format that um, you don't have to be consistent in terms of deliveries that you're going to um, execute or in terms of deliveries you're going to bowl. So having variations and being able to um, interrupt the way that the batter plays and, and help make them second-guess what they're looking to do is important part of it. The deceiving of slow balls or um, backing your ability to bowl a Yorker or a bumper whenever you feel it's the right time to do it without making it too obvious but backing your skill to execute it um on the flip side is you know pro 40 and 50 over it it backs your 
basic skill for a long period of time. I felt that that put me more under the pump in terms of how I was going to go about bowling and what T20 digs. I knew I had enough skill, enough variations that I could um, be successful in, in the game. Whereas, you know, the, the longer format of white ball cricket, it, it tests your basic skill for, for longer. Um, you know, you see some of these bowlers now that, you know, a ball a lot in the, in the power play and up top because they're able to like, Dave Willey, for instance, a fantastic power player bowler, swings the ball, he's aggressive, um, able to get lateral movement and put the batters, batters under pressure and he can come back in the middle and, and do a, a similar similar role. Um, I always felt that probably the reason that I didn't play a lot of um, red ball cricket is because I didn't, um, as a left arm, I didn't traditionally swing the ball back in and, and challenge uh, the stumps to a right-hander, so I had to find a different way of going about it. So... And that probably helped a bit at Sussex that Robbo was really good with, you know, if I had my time again, I'd throw my eggs into white ball cricket rather than trying to show that I can compete and do well in red ball cricket. Because I think that took a little bit away from me in terms of my ability with the white ball. I think I could have gone up another level if I, my concentration was just solely white ball cricket, not trying to be a, a red ball cricket that's going to swing the ball back and he's going to be able to open the ball in red ball cricket because that didn't suit the skill set that I sort of had. Um, so, yeah, I've, not, I've gone around the houses a little bit in terms of your answer or your question. Um, but I certainly felt that in T20 format, I had the skill set to bowl at any sort of stage of the game. Um, and I felt like I got exposed at them. I got exposed in them areas and I showed that I could, you know, do a job and be successful at different phases of the game. Well, I'm really glad you've touched upon that because uh, that was a fascinating answer, to be honest. Because one of my next questions was actually about red ball cricket because over the course of that decade at Sussex, you only played in 10 county championship matches in comparison to lots of list A and T20 matches. So it's interesting hearing actually that you would have focused even more then on the white ball formats, and in terms of that skill set, Chris, what do you think was your most potent and, and lethal weapon in the white ball format? Because we see it nowadays, don't we? You've got slow ball bouncers, your cutters, obviously just the back of the hand slow ball as well. You've got bowlers like Jasper Bumrah who can execute those toe-crunching Yorkers. What do you think was it about your skill set that was your, your most potent and effective weapon in the shortest format? Yeah, so speaking to a lot of batters during my career and certainly after playing and stuff, they found it difficult to pick me up because I had quite a quick arm and I was quite quick through the crease. Um, so my variations in terms of cutters, I couldn't tell the difference between the pace on ball and the cutter in terms of my arm speed. So I managed to keep it the same, but then it was obviously because it reacted off the wicket so much slower, it brought me more um, success or it made it harder for them to to judge what the ball was after it had pitched. Um, so that that helped me massively. Plus, with my angle, being a left-armer, you know, you look around franchises and, and T20 teams around the world, they all want to get a left-armer or a leg spinner in there because the angle we can create. And, um, and that helped me massively. Um, it also helped that I was given that role um, at, in the T20 team and backed at Sussex to do it um, and not having to play too much championship cricket and if like I said there if I'd have just 
concentrating and being like, I'm fa- I'm a- I'm at ease with just playing white ball cricket. I could I felt I could have gone further, but there was always that burning desire to be like, I want to play four day cricket. I want to get out there. I want to be part of the team in all formats. Because I tried to um, work on my four day skills, which probably had a bit of an effect on my white ball skills until I decided to find a way in red ball cricket that would suit the way I still do stuff in white ball cricket, which was more the back end of my Sussex days. Um, but yeah, I just felt, yeah, I'd say going back to skill set in T20 cricket, I felt that I had a skill set that, you know, there wasn't that many people around that did the same thing. So I was, I was a bit different, quick, like zippy pace, left arm, good variations. Um, had a good bumper as well, surprise bumper. So that always helped when people were coming hard at me. Yeah, it certainly does, doesn't it? It's it's what is almost the, the go-to, isn't it, now, in, in T20 cricket in particular. Either the, the bumper or the slow ball bouncer, it seems like we see an awful lot of those in the game nowadays because it is an effective option. The only problem in T20s, though, is that you are limited in the number of them that you can actually bowl in and over. So it, it does, I don't know, almost make you vulnerable at times because if you utilise your trump card too early in and over, all of a sudden, the batter knows exactly where you're going to be bowling. It'll either be full, you could go into the slot, or you could just drag yeah. it back on that good length. Either way, they know it's going to be in, in more of a hitting zone in comparison to the bumper. So that's really fascinating, to be honest, Chris. It really is, because I wasn't exactly expecting that answer, to be honest. I thought that maybe you would have wanted to have played a bit more Red Bull cricket, but it's fascinating with the power of, of hindsight and retrospect how maybe focusing on the T20 skill sets and the List A skill sets actually could have been more beneficial. So that is absolutely fascinating to hear. It really is very, very interesting, to say the least. And yeah. before we touch upon the, the coaching elements, right, because we do need to touch upon that in today's podcast, just in terms of the, the tougher moments from your time down on the South Coast, you mentioned beforehand injuries, which for any cricketer, is obviously a massive crux, isn't it? It's always going to be a very difficult moment in your career when you can't go out there on the cricket field and play T20s, list A, or indeed first-class cricket. So in terms of those more difficult and tougher moments from your time with the Martlets, what do you say was your toughest moment or toughest season with the Southern County? Um, it, was definitely the, it was definitely the season where... I- you know, I, I can deal with being injured and, and accepting that season's done um, for for the first time that I got injured. I can't remember the exact year it was. I think it might have been around 2012, something like that, 2013. Um, but the following, when I when you go away, get yourself fit and come back and then start the year again and, and you're, you're on a high and then it happens quite at the start of the, of the season and you think, surely not, this can't happen again. And then, because I knew it kept me out for the whole of last the, the season before, and then I'm got in my last year of my contract, and it's happened again. That was quite a dark time. It was a tough time thinking, I don't know how long the layoff's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be like coming back from injury. I'm going to have to have another operation. And yeah, it was only the back. I think I was fit for like the last month of the season, and that was the push to be like, I've got to do something here to earn a new contract because theoretically I wouldn't have played cricket for nearly two years or two summers. Um, so that's a quite a long time out of it. Um, so yeah, that was, it was a tough time. I was helped massively by Kate Green, 
who, who worked for the PCA at the time. Um, and she was almost like a mentor to me as well in terms of, you know, looking at me, making sure I was, you know, on the straight and narrow, so to speak, and then and making sure I was doing the right things. And I was in a good enough headspace. So I, I owe a lot to Kate. Um, she, she was fantastic for me. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, I just remember that moment of this is it either perform now or we'll be looking for a, a new County, I reckon. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a tough year that year. Um, but I suppose it, everything, everything happens for a reason in a way. Um, so I'm not too down about it. It's just, uh, you know, I made a, a great friend in, in Kate who helped me massively, uh, became to respect the game and, you know, how it all is and, you know, can be taken away from you quite quickly with injuries, um, and looking after your body and make sure you're doing the right things, um, uh, to keep you on the park, uh, not take it for granted. So I say everything happened for a reason. I'm glad that I, I got back fully fit. I'm glad that I went to play against Surrey and picked up a couple of wickets. I'm glad that I was able to show that I'm still capable of performing for Sussex and, and carrying on my, um, cricketing career. Well, that's the important thing, isn't it? It's about bouncing back. And you certainly did that in a Sussex shirt. And you can be very, very proud of that, to be honest, Chris, because it isn't easy, is it? Obviously, the injury itself is a pain because you've got to do the rehab, you've got to do the recovery and actually get back onto the cricket field in the first place. But it's also the the mental stress, isn't it, associated with it? The fact that you're away from your teammates, you're not actually playing the game and you can get into a very dark and, and lonely place when you're injured. So to come back from that, to have the fortitude, to actually return to the game and even extend your career because obviously it didn't end at Sussex, did it? You finished at Gloucestershire. Yeah. It is something that you can be tremendously proud and, and satisfied with. And talking of that final county, Gloucestershire County Cricket Club, before we touch upon coaching and wrap up today's episode of the podcast, Chris, in terms of that opportunity, how did that manifest itself? How did you go from the South Coast to popping across the country to the West Country outfits of Gloucestershire? Uh. Well, it's um, it was a it was a bit of a you know a sad way to end at Sussex, I suppose. That we just lost to Yorkshire in the county championship, and we've been relegated from um, Division One to Division Two. My contract was up; I hadn't had any chats about renewing it. Um, and part of me, whether it was naive in a way, I just felt like you know I've, I've still done well. Um, I played a few county championship games and did well. Um, you know, we haven't got a great deal of you know the bowling stocks at Sussex weren't massive at the time and I felt like I still had plenty to offer um, down at Sussex and I got told that you know us getting relegated means they're going to cut the budget my I was the only person out of contract and I was like I sort of naive I should have seen it coming I should have been a bit more proactive but in my mind I never wanted to leave Sussex anywhere so I lost my contract at Sussex but thankfully you know John Lewis, who was at Sussex at the time, had moved into the bowling coach role. Um, obviously, he's got great contacts over at Gloucester from his playing days there. Um, Tom Smith, who used to play at um, Sussex and used to live with, was also playing at Gloucester at the time. Um, and they both spoke to Richard Dawson, who didn't know I was out of contract or being released. And Dawson spoke to me, and we just got it going. And I was like, "Look, I'm." You know, I've still got plenty to offer. I feel in a good place, but I'm bowling well. I'm still bowling with good pace. And he was like, "Yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to have you here." So, 
Um, I didn't really entertain speaking to anyone else. When you, you get in touch with somebody like, or someone puts you in touch with someone who shows interest, it's like, well, that's good enough for me. If you if you want me to come there, I'm happy to come there. You know, I want to carry on playing with a good bunch of lads. That I, I think they've just won the um, 50 over cup as well. So it was a, a, a young group of lads that had, had success. And I thought, you know what, that's be an exciting group to be part of. 100% and yes, that's a, a podcast in itself, isn't it? The 2015 Royal London One Day Cup. Yeah. Goodness me, what a day that was for Gloucestershire County Cricket Club beating Surrey at the home of crickets in an incredible final, one which came right down to the wire. Goodness me, that was a very, very special day for the glorious Gloucestershire. In terms of those years that you spent at Gloucestershire, Chris, how do you reflect on them? So uh, again, how would you summarise your time with the West Country outfit because this was towards the the end of your playing days and you had four seasons with the West Country outfit but in terms of that dressing room we always hear very positive things about Gloss it seems to be a lovely club to be a part of so with the power of, of retrospect and hindsight how do you summarise and reflect upon your time down in Bristol? Uh, fond memories uh, it was tough because it you know, we'd moved further away from family, me and my wife, and we, we had our first son born in, in Bristol. So we've got fond memories of, you know, our firstborn being, our firstborn being born there. Um, it was tough because we were further away from family, and now there's, there's three of us, not two of us. Um, so it was, having to get help with babysitting and stuff like that was, was quite hard work. But from the cricket side of things, the, the lads were they were great. They were, they were young. They were, hungry but they've also the way Gloucester did things he, he also had a lot of experience in young players uh, David Payne had played a, a shed load of cricket and he was still only uh, mid to late 20s so um, you know there's some, there were some really exciting cricketers in there that just wanted to keep getting better and wanted you know to play cricket and, you know, and get exposure for playing um, I felt like I had a bit of experience I mean I didn't play much in my first year there for Know, a few other reasons around uh, the birth of my my son and the, the pregnancy for my wife and stuff. It was quite a, a tough time, uh, especially my son was born in the middle of the summer, um, which is probably not ideal in terms of a cricketing schedule, um, <laughs> being very busy. Um, but certainly, you know, the following years were were fantastic. Um, you know, I really enjoyed being out there with the lads, playing and and, and putting in performances, getting to quarterfinals of T20s. Um, pushing teams in the championship. I probably played most of my red, certainly majority of my red ball cricket was probably played at Gloucester. Um, or it felt that way anyway. Um, but yeah, it was great. Maxi Klinger was good in terms of his knowledge that he brought and he controlled that, that dressing room and give a real guidance to how to go about playing T20 cricket. And, you know, he, he led from the front. Um, but Richard Dawson, fantastic. He was, he was brilliant. I can't say a bad word about the bloke. Um, he was he was great one on one. He had passion for the game. He wanted to. He loved working with people. Um, and there's no surprise that he's you know he's involved with the England um, white ball squad because he's you know the knowledge he's got of the game is second to none. So he was he was brilliant. I really enjoyed working working under him at Gloucester. So yeah, look good memories, real good memories. I enjoyed my time there. And uh, I still keep in touch with some of the lads now. So, yeah, it's always a good sign, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. And, yeah, I did allude to it beforehand, but they do seem like a good bunch down in the West Country. So 
really, really glad to hear that, Chris. And in terms of the next stage of your journey, then we've got to talk a bit about coaching because in terms of your playing days, you had a very long county career, which in itself is a massive achievement, right? I mean, there was that stat a couple of years ago, which said that the average county career was something between one and two years. So to have such a prolonged and successful career is a huge, huge achievement and one which you should be tremendously proud of. But in terms of the next step, that was coaching. And that actually started from your time with Gloucestershire, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of the the badges and actually going out there and, and coaching. So first and foremost, why coaching? Because not every former player becomes a coach. What was it about that particular career path which, again, captured your imagination, per se? Yeah, well, great question. I, I think the beauty of uh, being a professional cricketer is you, you get to travel and get to play abroad and you meet a lot of people. Um, and I went to Perth quite a few times as a youngster and met the coach who was coaching Hong Kong. Uh, well, he was, he was playing out in Perth, met him, a guy called Charlie Burke. Years later, he's out in Hong Kong as a Hong Kong cricket coach. I wanted to get away for the winter and just play some cricket and I just did white ball over there and I got in touch with him. He said, come and stay with me. Um, you'll, have, you'll have a great time. We'll play some T20. Um, we'll get you, you know, we'll look after you. So I went out there and one of the other coaches that was out there was a guy called Ryan Campbell and he was coaching out there. So I got to know Campbell really well. Um, we kept in contact and I decided to, uh, for myself, my wife and our son, Max one winter to go to South Africa and play cricket in the winter. Um, thought it'd be a good experience and we should do it before playing career sort of ends. So I'm, we're out in South Africa in Cape Town playing and Campbell contacts me and says, um, Lids, what are you up to? We've got a training camp in uh, Pretoria. Um, would you be interested in coming over and doing some work with some of our bowlers? Because he was at the Dutch, he was the Dutch team head coach at the time. And I, was, I turned to my wife and I was like, yeah, why not? Let's just go over there. Let me get over there. I'm only going to be there for a week, 10 days and do a bit of coaching and then I'll come back. So I went over, started coaching. There was a lot of, you know, Tim van der Gooten, uh, Rula van der Merwe. There, there was county players there that I knew and, and, and played against and stuff. And there was a couple of young lads that I hadn't, you know, played against or seen before that I could do some work with. I really, I, I loved it. It was great, great experience. And then I suppose from then on, Campbell kept getting me back involved when I, when he could with series and luckily for me a lot of the stuff was going on in the winter and not the summer for the Dutch team which then filled out my winter of getting more coaching experience in different um, parts of the world um, and then I decided to well Campbell said they've got a quite busy schedule in one of the summers I ended up speaking to Gloucester and said look this is where I think I'm going to go I've really enjoyed the coaching side of things I've been given an opportunity how does it work with with, um, with Gloucester. So then I ended up giving up my Red Bull contract at um, Gloucester so, to allow me to do some coaching throughout the summer for the uh, Netherlands. And it just sort of kept going from there, really. Um, I, I do believe that without that opportunity, I'm very grateful for Campbell. I learned so much of him as a coach and for giving me the opportunity in the first place. But we're, we're, we're good friends now. We speak all the time. He's having a great time with Durham. Um, and having success, which I wasn't surprised of because of the coach he is and the person he is. Um, so he's been brilliant. He was brilliant for me. 
And uh, yeah, I suppose I wouldn't have got the opportunity at Northants to be to go straight into that position if I hadn't had the experience with the Dutch team and been able to um, bolster my CV in a way in terms of um, being part of T20 World Cup qualifiers, ODI series, um, various other series that went on and working with high-end players almost helped me, you know, jump into the role down at over at Northants um, quite easily, to be fair, um, which was a decision that I was start, I started a playing contract when um, I got offered that role at Northants. So it was a decision of, do I keep playing for another year or do I take this opportunity that I've been given at Northants and go into something that I've just, over the last three or four years, I've, I've sort of fell in love with the, the art of coaching and working with people and seeing how people progress. And I thought, you know what, it might not come around again for a while. Let's go now. So decided to walk away from playing and into the, the Northlands role. Well, I think it's safe to say, Chris, that it's it's paid off, hasn't it? Because even aside from that role with Northlands, which is a big role in itself, isn't it? Being the, the bowling coach at one of the, the county venues and you did some work with the Sunrisers as well didn't you, if I'm not mistaken, but now you're the England women's performance pace bowling coach as well, which is a brand new role, which must be incredibly exciting. And yeah, mentioning that travel, look where you are right now in Mumbai. So there's still definitely that element which comes via the coaching industry. But I just think that is a lovely, lovely journey into this career path. And you couldn't really ask for a better mentor than Ryan Campbell, one of my absolute favourite podcast guests ever. He is such an inspirational figure, both on and off the cricket field. His coaching philosophies as well are second to none. He is a very, very special coach, to say the very least. And what he's creating up in Durham is very exciting. It really is almost ominous for the rest of the counties. But for Durham, yeah, very, very exciting times indeed. And in terms of that aspect of progression, improvement, seeing players enjoy themselves, Chris, What's your favourite aspects of actually being a cricket coach? There's a couple of things. Obviously, it's, it's always down to the team success and seeing them doing well and, and a team putting in that all-round performance, which just wiped team, other teams away. But I suppose the, the enjoyment for me as a, as a bowling coach is, is working on skill and execution of skill. And then with that is the game plan and game awareness of when's best to use this skill. I think the beauty of um, the role that I'm in now is is working and, and trying to build a pool of fast bowlers in the England women's game that can have sustained success over like a long period of time. And we've got to put the foundations in place first, and then start building on top of that with the skill and and you know different elements of the game. Um, but yeah, working with bowlers, developing skill and giving them and helping them get the confidence to go out there and, and execute that skill and seeing it come off is fantastic. We've had bowlers already in terms of working closely with Izzy Wong and uh, working on a, a knuckleball and an execution of a knuckleball. And she's used it out here in the game. She nearly got a caught and bowled yesterday. She bowled four of them in a row. Um, and she's gone through the roof in terms of her confidence with executing that ball, which she wasn't 100% confident with before I started. So it's little things like that, which, you know, you know, it's, it's a great feeling to have as a coach that you're having a, a positive impact on a player. And you can see when you, or I certainly feel it when I'm having conversations with a player that I'm, I'm helping them and they feel comfortable that I'm, I'm helping them become, become better. Um, 
and yeah, look, it's that's I suppose that's the art of coaching um, is trying to be able to build them relationships um, and build the trust, and then work together to try and get the best out of get the best out of the player. Um, I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. I've loved it. It's been great. I'm, I'm enjoying this new role. I enjoyed my time at Northlands working with the players. Jack White, he's you know, he was an away swing bowler, I suppose, when I when I joined the club, and he's now a nip backer and away swing bowler, and he's getting the rewards for it. And you know, I've got a lot of time for Jack and the effort he put in. Um, he's getting the rewards that we seen years ago, and he, you know, he's put certainly put the time and effort into it. And we still speak now. We speak all the time about cricket and life and. That's the thing, if you know, if you have a good enough relationship with a with a player, that you you've had a positive influence on them, and keep in touch with you. So, I like to think that I've done that over my time with certain players. Well, to be honest, Chris, I I would echo that sentiment. I think you have, to be honest. And Jack White is definitely a major success story. Fifty wickets in the county championship last season. One of the finest bowlers in the first division for that campaign as well. He's just been rewarded with a brand new contract extension at Northants. So, yeah, I think you did a very, very good job with Jack. And again, for Northants fans, I think they'll be very, very satisfied with the end results. And in terms of the future, Chris, just before we wrap up, what has been an absolutely fascinating chat on today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast, I just wanted to talk about your future aspirations in this industry because realistically, your coaching journey is only just getting started. So you mentioned about being a bowling consultant for the Netherlands. Then there was that position for Northamptonshire as the bowling coach. And now, as we've alluded to throughout this podcast, you're now the development pace bowling coach for England women. So it's been quite the journey, hasn't it? Even in these early stages. But in terms of the long run, what is Chris Liddell looking to achieve in the world of cricket coaching? And of course, in wider life heading into the next few years? Jeez, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. It's a great question. Um, look, I, I've been given this role. I've, I'm fortunate to be in this role at, with England that, you know, I want to help produce a battery of fast bowlers um, that can sort of maybe turn heads in a way of like, wow, we've got some genuine pace here in the England in the England lineup. Um, and there's there's not just one of them. There's four, five, six of them all ready to play. That'll be a, that'll be a dream. Um, that's something that I'm ambitious in in terms of trying to help produce and and work with the players um, that are involved in the system, and also try and find other players from around the regions that have the attributes to bowl quick and being able to guide and support them to do that and push them to you know push down like break a few boundaries along the way um, or break sorry push down a few barriers along the way and. And you know, expose that they can actually bowl genuine pace. Um, that's where I want to get to, um, and and add skill alongside of that of you know the variations required in in, in white ball cricket. Um, that's my, I suppose, short term goal. Um, but that's still it's not like two or three years. I'm talking four or five years of being able to produce these players. And it's going to take a bit of time because um, of some young. Young bowlers that are involved in the England mix at the moment that just need a bit of strength work, a bit of you know good foundations putting in place and, and to build on top of that. So I know it's not going to happen just overnight, but if I can put a system in place or a certain you know pathway in place to help these you know these players um, progress, then I'm I'm doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, short term, longish term, but hopefully in, over the next 
three, four years, you're going to see a, a you know a battery of fast bowlers that are involved in the England system and and being able to play cricket and you know and turn heads, I suppose, in terms of the way we're going about all bowling. Well, Chris, I think it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing you all the very best of luck with the coaching journey, mates. I mean, it really has been fascinating, to be honest, to have this conversation today, not just about your playing days, but this foray into the world of coaching. And it's only just getting started, and it really is a very, very rewarding career path, as the likes of, of David Ripley has come onto this podcast and said, Obviously, Ryan Campbell, he was one of our more recent guests. Yeah. Cricket coaching is absolutely phenomenal. And I look forward to seeing the results, to be honest, in particular with Izzy Wong, because as a Warwickshire boy myself, she's a local hero here in the Midlands and obviously yeah. the pride of both Warwickshire and the Central Spark. So if we see her more in an England shirt, that'll be absolutely fantastic. So obviously wishing you all the very best of luck and the England women's team as well heading into the near future and, of course, the years beyond. But, Chris, that does essentially bring us to an end to what has been a brilliant episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. I'm just looking at the time. Over 70 minutes, that's absolutely flown by. doesn't feel like that whatsoever. <laughs> so just before we say our goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote, any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? I don't know, but thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed chatting through my career, county cricket, England women. Um, what I will say is, you know, the England women's team is an exciting team to be part of. Um, the, the skill level that they have in the in the main team and the A team is is exceptional. I'm looking forward to seeing how they go about and being part of, you know, hopefully helping them get more success in the near future. So keep your eyes appeal for the England women because they certainly are on the up. Absolutely. Uh, I think we all will, to be honest. And yeah, 2024, a very, very interesting year as well, isn't it? With the Pakistan series, looking forward to making the, the short trip across to Edgbaston and watching that T20. So yeah, we'll wait and see. But yeah, completely echo that sentiment, to be honest, Chris. A very, very exciting time for women's crickets in this country, to say the least. But that does bring us to an end to what's been an absolutely fascinating episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. And Chris, you're always welcome back on in the future, mate. I think that's blatantly clear, to be honest, by <laughs> this chat. It's been absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I hope that everyone listening at home has also enjoyed it. And that does essentially bring us to an end to today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. All that's left for me to say is a massive thank you to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there who's taken the time to tune in to today's episode. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.